is the moment when if you have your smartphone or a tablet, you want to open your Evangel app, you can find it on the App Store under Evangel Montreal. And on there will be a bunch of information, but also the notes for everything we're going to be doing and talking about today. As you know, if you were here last Sunday, we launched the story, and this is week one of the story. And for those of you that weren't here, or if you have forgotten, I just want you to know that what the story is, is we're going through the whole Bible as a church, all ages, all groups, midweek, kids, everything, all going through the Bible chronologically from beginning to end, uh, from Genesis to Revelation. We're doing it in approximately 31 weeks, so it's going to take us through with a few breaks into around June or so. and um, we have, some of you have ordered in your own copies of the story. If you have, some of them came this week. And so first come, first serve. Whoever pays first gets to pick up the copy that you ordered. If your copy has not arrived yet or the other things that you ordered did not arrive yet, I want you to know you don't need to worry about anything because we're doing chapter one today. But then next Sunday is fifth Sunday, so we take a break. And then the Sunday after that, one of our global workers is here, Deborah Surgising. And so you won't need this again until the first week of October, okay? And so I don't want you to panic, but if you, if, if it, if you had ordered one, check to see if it came in. And if not, you can order through the app. If you are a person that says, I don't want to order another book, you don't have to. You can use your own Bible or your own Bible app. And every week when we send out our weekly um, email that we send to the whole church, there will be a link in there for the scriptures that we're covering. Also, if you really don't want to buy a book and you're not sure, there will be a limited number of reference cards available at the information desk. And on those reference cards is the scriptures that go with each chapter. So you just take that and tuck that into your Bible and, and you can go ahead with that. And so that's what we're doing. And, and it's called the story. And we're in chapter one today. We're also doing a specific evangel piece today called This Is My Story, which is what you just saw over here with Pastor Rob and with Priscilla. And uh, there's kind of a couple of reasons we're doing that. One is we actually would like to get to know different people in the church. This is a big church. It's easy to come and not get to know anybody. But it's more than that. It's testimony. It's, it's stories of what God has done. And every single one of us has room to grow in our faith. Me too. And uh, we get challenged and we get inspired and we get motivated and we get encouraged when we hear somebody else's story of what God is doing in their lives. And so the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron and us encouraging one another. And so that's what we're doing as we add in this is my story as part of this series, The Story, here at Evangel. And so I just wanted you to, I wanted to review that for you and tell you what was happening. And so if you read the scripture for this coming Sunday, you know that we're in chapter one, which is called the beginning of life as we know it, creation. And creation, I mean, that's the beginning. And it's really important that we understand the story of creation and that we actually just dive right into it because it sets the framework for everything else. The story of creation, the story of the beginning sets the framework, it sets the groundwork for the whole rest of the story that's happening. And there's this amazing description. And if you have the story, it's on page one. If you have your Bibles, it's in Genesis one. And, but you just kind of imagine it. Now, uh, probably almost all of us know the first three words. You want to whisper them with me? In the beginning. Don't you just love that? In the beginning. And then this story starts to become told. And it's, it's got this rhythm to it. It's, it's kind of poetic. It's almost song-like. And you just got to imagine it and let it go into your soul. What did this sound like? What did this look like? What did this feel like? In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I mean, what does that even look like? Darkness. The Spirit of God just hovering over water. Darkness hovering, grasping everything it God said that there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And it was so, and God called the vault sky. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make mankind, humanity, in our image, in our likeness, And so God created mankind, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And it was very good. 
And then, and then there's this amazing story where God creates this beautiful, magnificent, perfect garden for humanity to live in and work in and to enjoy. And the whole point of the whole thing is that God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity we call it, that God wants to come and do life with humanity. God wants to come and share life with humanity. God creates all of this. And what matters is relationship. And, and creation was intentional. And whatever, whatever scientific view you might hold, that's, that's absolutely fine. But can I just tell you, Genesis is not intended to be a science textbook. It's the story of God. And so whether creation happened in six 24-hour days, I don't know. That's a little tricky when sun and the moon weren't even created until, you know, a little ways in. So how do you even determine a 24-hour day? I don't know. Or maybe God created the earth, you know, young, but with the appearance of age, you know, like when you buy brand new jeans with holes in them, right? Or, or, I mean, Adam and Eve were created as adults, not as babies, and so why not all the rest? I don't know. It's, it's the point is, is that God, some suggest a gap of millions of years between verse 2 and verse 3 of chapter 1, and none of this, in my opinion, under, undermines the authority or the validity of Scripture. I, I think if God created the earth, he could have done it any way he liked, Okay? The point is, God is behind creation, and creation is not an accident, and the point is that humanity is God's crowning achievement right in the middle of it all, and this is huge, because how you view God and how you view creation is going to impact how you view humanity. So I read an article this week, and, and if you have the app, the link to it is in there, and you can read it yourself. It's an interview with an author who's written a book, and I'm just telling you straight up, I haven't written the book, wrote, wrote, haven't written the book, I haven't read it yet either because it was just released, but the book was called The Dignity Revolution, Reclaiming God's Rich Vision for Humanity, and, and this, this article was an, was an interview with the author. And so he was talking about, you know, what the implications are and why it matters if we are created in God's image. If our view of creation is that we were created in God's image. And this is what he said. This is an important time for Christians to reclaim this rich vision of humanity in a world that is increasingly asking what it means to be human. And in a world that sees daily assaults on human dignity from abortion to war, to the way we treat immigrants and refugees, to the discussions about the end of life. Your, your view of God, your view of creation is going to impact your view of humanity, of humanity as having been created with dignity and in God's image. And none of that changes when we mess it up. Because if you're familiar with the story... If you happen to have read it or maybe heard it at some point, you know that humanity does mess it up, and pretty quickly, mind you, because God gave humanity free will. So here's Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman in the Garden of Eden in this perfect, beautiful place where they have everything, and, and God gives them free will in the middle of that space. And then Satan is there, and he takes truth and twists it just a little bit because that's what he does. And just like that, Adam and Eve, who have everything they could ever want, who have every blessing, every benefit, everything good that they could ever want, just like that, they go, you know what? I want something else. 
I would like to have the knowledge of good and evil. And here we are today, knowing the story, and we just want to scream back in time. We're watching all of this unfold, and we live in a world that is filled with the knowledge of good and filled with the knowledge of evil. We live in the consequences of that world, and we watch it happen in the pages of this story, and we just want to, we just want to yell back to them and go, no, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. You don't want the knowledge of evil. Once you have knowledge of evil, you can't, you can't unknow it. But they don't hear us yelling. And God gives them free will. And they choose. And everything changes. And there's this instant reality of consequences. There are, there are curses that come as a result of sin entering the world. Weeds and, and thistles, you know, that, that catch on, on my puppy's face, by the way, and, and they just get stuck there. Uh, the, the pain of childbirths, part of the result of sin coming into the world. There becomes this, this brokenness in the relationship between men and women, and still we see the results of that. We still see that carried on all around the world, all through history. And then one of the consequences that happens as a result of this sin is they feel shame. And they, the first man and the first woman, they've been walking around and they, they suddenly realize they're naked and they feel vulnerable and they feel weird about that and they feel embarrassed. And so they try to cover up with some leaves, which doesn't work very well. And the truth is, is that sin has become part of their spiritual DNA. It's something that's just going to get passed on to all of humanity. And now there's this conflict within where, where when, the, when there's this desire to, to do what is good and to do what is right and what is moral and what is, what is for others' benefit, it, ter- it starts fighting with this desire to do what is wrong and what is immoral and what is evil and what is for my own selfish desires. And, and so this all becomes part of this spiritual DNA that becomes part of humanity. And Adam and Eve are, are escorted, they're banned from this beautiful garden. And these, these are the consequences. But the consequences are not the end of the story. They're just the middle of it. And so they're banned from the garden, but they're not completely banned from God. There's, there is some separation and something has changed, but it's not entire. They're, they're separate. There is separation, but they're not completely abandoned. Because if you keep reading it, you see that God goes with them and God stays with them in a world that now has evil and pain in it. God is still there. And so Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel, and they grow up and, I mean, siblings, Right. And so sibling rivalry happens, and Cain's just, he just can't take it anymore. And God speaks to Cain because God is there. God is there in this world that has evil and pain in it. And God says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It's right there. It's going to grow. Make the right choice. And Cain doesn't. And so the first murder of humanity happens. Sin. Free will. Choices. And sin gets down and is passed on and on as part of the spiritual DNA of humanity. And people get worse and worse until in the story on page 8 or Genesis chapter 6, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled, this dark moment of God's regret. And so God goes, okay, 
I'm going to start again. And somebody's going to ask me, how does that work? And I'm going to say, I don't know. I don't know. I, doesn't God know that this isn't going to work? But this is what he says. I'm going to start again. And, and check it out. Because most of the time, as we go through the story, you're going to see that God is going to choose, you know, the least likely person or the weakest person or the one that nobody thinks can do it. But in this case, he chooses the best one. He finds this guy named Noah. And Noah is the most righteous. He's the guy that's holding it all together, him and, and, his, and he's leading his family and all of that. And he's the one that's most together. And God goes, I'm going to start again with Noah. This is what it says. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I will establish my covenant with you. And then God gives Noah these very specific instructions and he builds this giant boat called an ark and then animals come onto it because we're going to save the animals too. And no, I don't know how that works. I can't even get my dog to come when I call her, so I don't know. But, and then it says that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And then there's this throwback in the story, a little bit of a sense of that, that rhythm of creation, that poetry of creation coming into being, except now it's being undone, not completely, but undone in some ways. And so it says in page 9 of the story, or Genesis chapter 7, on that very day, Noah and his sons, together with their wives, entered the ark. And they had with them every wild animal according to its kind, All livestock, according to their kinds. Do you hear the rhythm? Every creature that moves along the ground, according to its kind. And every bird, according to its kind. Everything with wings. And pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them that God gave them at creation. Came to Noah and entered the ark. And then the Lord shut him in. And for 40 days, the rains come. And for 40 days... The floods come. And remember how vegetation was created? It's flooded. And remember how mountains come up and mountains somehow are formed? They're covered in water. And remember how way back at the beginning there was this talk of of water being separated to create dry land and a separation. It's almost like that's coming undone again and that all the water, not quite, but so much water everywhere. And then it slowly recedes. And the sun comes out, and the water starts draining away, and it takes months, months and months. And then one day they come out of the ark, and it's a fresh start, right? It's good. And, and Noah starts right, and he starts with this sacrifice to God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going I'm to give thanks to the creator. I'm going to start this off right. And God promises, God sees that sacrifice, and God promises Never again. I'll never do this again. And it's interesting because what the scripture tells us is that God actually said, never again will I do that, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Even though. It's not like God goes, oh, everything's great now. It's not like God thinks everything is fine now. There's still that spiritual DNA, that thing being passed down. God has not been duped. But God says, nevertheless, never again. I'm going to establish a covenant 
with you, Noah, and with your descendants. I'm going to make a promise to humanity, and it's a promise that I will never destroy the people in this world again, even though every inclination of their heart is wicked. And he seals that promise with the first rainbow. And it's good that God says, even though, attached to this promise, because it doesn't take long before sin shows up again. And you want to think, well, maybe it was a few generations or maybe just one generation or maybe somebody different, but it wasn't. It was the same human being. It's not in the story that you've read here, but it is in Genesis chapter 9 that Noah himself, the good guy, the one who had it all together, you know, the righteous one, and he gets so drunk. I mean, just, just stumbling, falling down, passing out drunk that he just... He just passes out naked, makes a complete fool of himself, and one of his sons sees it, and his son, instead of respecting his dad and honoring him and trying to, you know, cover him up, he just humiliates him and mocks him. And you go, well, that's not really that big of a deal. But, it, but it's a signal that sin is still there. It's a signal that there's still something wrong with humanity, and, and it's a signal that sin and the sin nature is still resident in humanity, still part of our spiritual DNA. And that's the beginning of the story. That's the end of chapter one. And it sets the scene for everything else. And if we were watching TV right now, you'd hear me go, tune in next week. Or you'd see, come across the screen to be continued. It, I mean, it just, it just leaves us hanging. And some of us, you know, we're binge watchers of Netflix. And some of us are about to become binge readers of the story. You're going to walk out of here and go, I got to know what happens next. So I'm going to leave you hanging on that. But let me point to a few things. Because in that whole thing of the first chapter of In the Beginning, there's three things that point to hope. Because remember, God's point in this whole thing was to live with humanity, to have relationship with humanity, and to know us and to do life with us. And that is completely messed up now. There's no, there's no question. But it's not over. There's still hope. There's hope first. In the story of Adam and Eve, when God promises it won't always be this way. It's right, it's right in the middle of sin has just happened and there's curses. And God goes to Satan who's posing as a serpent and he says, I will put enmity or hatred. I will put hatred between you, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. And it's this promise, it's this hint that God gives right at the start that evil doesn't get the last word. And it's the first promise that it won't always be this way. There's hope. There's hope, secondly, when, when God looks at Adam and Eve and he sees their shame and their embarrassment and they're just feeling weird about their nakedness and all of that, and he sees that their leaves aren't really holding because leaves don't hold well. And so he makes garments of skin, it says, for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them, garments of animal skins, which means, of course, animals gave up their lives so that Adam and Eve's shame could be covered. And later we realize, we don't know it right at the beginning, but we realize later it's the first hint that the solution to this broken relationship, the first the solution to this path to restored relationship, it's going to require the shedding of blood. And there's hope you know, in the story of Noah, in the covenant that God makes in that rainbow, knowing full well, God knows full well 
We're not going to hold up our end of the bargain. But he will. Even though. And humanity is very slowly going to see, achingly slowly going to see the unfolding of God's story. That this is a God who keeps his promise, even at the moment of our worst failures. And this is a God who created us and is not going to give up on us. And this is his creation, and it's his story, and he's going to see us through. And so as we go through this series of the story, if you're in connect groups or you're, you're doing some study on the side, you might see some references to upper story and lower story, which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, the big picture and the personal picture, the personal story. And so if we, if we were to look at it that way, we go, okay, well, what's the upper story? What's the big picture of, of this whole thing? Well, the, the whole thing, this first chapter, I mean, it just impacts everything. It impacts everything. It sets the stage for the whole rest of God's story, it helps us realize that that the stories in Scripture are not just random, isolated, moralistic little narratives, you know, that end with, and the moral of the story is. That's not what that is at all. These are stories of, of real life, and they're tied together, and they're all part of something bigger. They're all part of a journey in the same direction that has a beginning and it has an end. And it's important to understand that because God's story is not circular. It doesn't just keep going around in circles like some philosophies or some faiths. God's story is, is it has a beginning and it has an end. And God, God's story is not impersonal and it's not removed and it's not, you know, blending into some ultimate nothingness. God's story is intentional and it's personal and it's creative and it's passionate and it's determined and it's faithful, and it has a beginning, and it will have an end. We're just still in the middle of it. And if you go, well, Patty, what's the, what's the lower story? What's the personal picture? Why does this, why does this matter to me? Because you matter. You do. You matter. You are part of God's creation, and you are part of God's story. And you are not an accident any more than the rest of creation was. You have dignity. And you have value. And you were intentionally created by God. And you're not perfect. You're not perfect. In fact, there's probably some parts of you deep inside that you hope nobody ever finds and nobody ever knows about, and you're maybe trying to cover it with leaves that you hope will never fall apart because you don't want anyone to ever know. And that is there, and that is real. Yes, that thing, and God already knows. God already knows, even even that thing. He already knows that piece, and he's going to keep his promise anyway. And he's going to seek you, and he's going to pursue you, He's going to invite you to be part of his story. Romans chapter 1 verse 6 says that you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Of course, you still have free will. We all do. And that never changes. And so the ultimate 
ongoing, repeated choice is yours and it's mine. And it's not just a one-time choice. It's not just a choice that you made as a child or as a teenager or however many years ago or last week. It's a choice that we make today, now, at this moment, and then we make it again tomorrow. And then we make it again the next day where we choose to be part of God's story or we choose to use our free will to just go our own way and do our own thing and just kind of sideline the God who created us. So I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads at this moment and close your eyes because we always try to give an opportunity for you to just quietly respond to God and and think through some of what you've heard. And for me, this whole story, this whole moment of creation, this whole opener to it all just leaves me a little bit breathless. And the creation is just so beyond my imagination. And then, and then that moment when I'm watching Adam and Eve and I'm wanting to go, no. And then, and then the moment of God's love overcoming his anger and God's love overcoming his grief and saying, never again. Even though I'm going to make a covenant with you, I'm going to make a promise to you, and it won't always be this way. And I know that you're going to fail, but I'm not. You hear God's voice going, this is my creation. This is my story. You are called to belong, and it's this breathtaking realization that God gets the final word. It's his story. And so we started this service this morning by saying, come close to God, and God will come close to you. And I'm inviting you to do that again. And for some of us here, we've been walking as part of God's story, more or less. And we just pause at this moment as followers of Jesus to just review the events of the past week to think ahead to what today holds, to what the coming week holds. And to just whisper a prayer, something like, God, this is my story within your story. So I'm going to commit my free will to you again. And help me to live with the awareness that it's your story. And you get the final say. You could just whisper a prayer like that. For some of you, you're here and this is the first time you've heard something like this or you never really thought of it this way or you've been away and you're thinking maybe it's time to come back. And for you, can I just tell you, you can whisper a prayer now or at any moment of just, God, I want to be part of your story. God, I want you to be part of my story. You can just whisper a prayer that says, God, come into my life right now. There's sin in my life. I know it and you know it. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Not because I deserve it and I'm amazing, but because you made a promise, God. And I'm calling on that. Thank you for finding me. God, at this moment, as we all just together, just take this last moment in this sacred space that we've been in this morning 
We realize that we're going back out into our regular lives, most of us. We're going to work, we're going to class, families, friends, to-do lists, neighborhoods, things that cause us pain, things that bring us joy. And in all those things, oh God, would you help us to carry Jesus to all those places. Help us to take the sacredness of this and carry it into the world that you created. Would you help us to do good and love each other and reveal Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. We thank you, God, that you do this through us. Go with us. Keep us safe. Help us to honor you. and Bring us back safely next Sunday. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you want to receive prayer this morning, there's people at the stations throughout the sanctuary that would be happy to pray with you. Make sure that you go downstairs and get a coffee. Say hi to someone. If you're a member, our meeting starts in a half an hour. If you're not, that's okay. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next Sunday.